Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studio, it's time for Family Business Radio. Showcasing outstanding family businesses and the advisors who assist them. Good afternoon. You're listening to Family Business Radio. I'm your host, as always, Anthony Chen. So today we have two great guests uh, coming onto the show with us today, kind of sharing their origin stories and what makes them unique. Our first guest, we have Erica Nicholson with Restored Cosmetics, followed by Todd Kalen with Accelerate Sales Advisors. So kicking off the show, Erica, welcome to the show. Thank you. All right, kind of share with our audience kind of what the origin stories are with uh, Restored Cosmetics. So Restore Cosmetics is a company where we service a lot of women that um, in and through paramedical tattooing and also permanent makeup. So for those who are just kind of listening in, what does, t- well, of course, the stereotype, you're thinking of tattooing like bikers mm-hmm. and all, but I'm imagining that the women that you're servicing are not necessarily uh, Harley Davidson bikers. So kind of explore <laughs> or explain to our audience, like what, what is cosmetic uh, tattooing and makeup? So paramedical tattooing is basically, uh, we service people that have gone through surgeries, different types of tragedies, specifically ladies that have gone through breast cancer and reconstructive surgery, or it may be someone that has gone through a surgery of just a general surgery and we're helping them feel whole again in and through, uh, tattooing where as an example scar camouflaging um someone may have a scar that's left over from a surgery or some type of tragedy that they've gone through and we're basically helping to conceal those scars ladies have gone through breast cancer we're actually helping restore the look of their breasts so if they've gone through reconstructive surgery and they have been left with just implants and there's no nipple, there's no areola, we're actually creating a three-dimensional product, if you will, for them to feel whole again. So kind of share with the audience, like what got you down this this path to really help women heal, whether it's a surgery or having gone through breast cancer? I mean, these are very emotionally charged experiences. Correct. Yes. So I started out doing permanent makeup for brows. A lot of people have heard of microblading. We offer that in our, uh, in our clinic as well. But through some personal things that my husband and I had gone through, um, I don't know why I just, it, the people that I follow in and through the industry, they, I, I would follow their pages and I just begin to see these 3d breasts, if I, if you will. And I thought, oh my gosh, that is actually three-dimensional on flat skin. And I just couldn't stop watching these videos. And then everywhere that I went, I just keep kept seeing this happen again and again and again. And then I had a client that came in that wanted to get her brows done. And she began, whatever reason, to share her story of how she was diagnosed with breast cancer a year before. And then the week before she was in my studio getting her brows done, she had gone to a gentleman and gotten the 3D breast tattooing done. And she said, when he was done, I just cried because it was the first time that I felt and I finished her sentence. And I said that you felt normal And she goes, yes, that I felt normal. And I thought, why am I able to finish this lady's sentence? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it was based on what my husband and I had gone through, just some really, really difficult, tragic things that we had gone through, not physically, but just different things that we had gone through. And I just, I kept thinking for myself, I want to be normal. 
And so that was the first time that I can actually identify with somebody that I could help them feel normal again or feel as much normalcy in their life by giving this to them. And mm-hmm. then I began to kind of do some research and I thought, is there nobody in Atlanta that's doing this for people? And so I reached out, I had been following this one lady and I went and trained with her and this is very quickly becoming my little baby. I just love it. And I've found that it's not just for people that have gone through breast reconstruction. It's for somebody that maybe has gone through maybe a mommy makeover or breast augmentation or lift or something of that nature. And maybe the results are not exactly what they thought they were going to be, but yet we're still able to help them in and through this service uh, to feel like, wow, I've gone through this surgery. My body looks great, but why do I have these scars? You know, so we're able to help, help them kind of get past that. Mm-hmm. Then you mentioned a little bit about like microblading. So for those mm-hmm. of us not in industry or not in an mm-hmm. what is microblading? So microblading is, um, it's, it's actually been around for a long, long, long time. Um, and there's a difference between traditional and digital microblading. The traditional microblading is where let's just say someone is losing their brows. Um, and a lot of ladies and in, in men as well, they end up losing their brows when we get that 40 plus age. <laughs> and so when I first got into it, I actually thought they were sewing in the brow hair, but it's not. We're actually taking a tool, dipping it in, 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 into a pigment, and then we're going into the brow area, creating in the skin almost like a paper cut. And when you wipe away the excess pigment, it literally looks like it's hair. So the digital version of that, which is what we do at Restore Cosmetics, is we're using a a tattoo gun. There is a needle cartridge that goes at the end of that. And we're actually going into the skin with the pigment. But the difference is we're not cutting into the brow almost like a paper cut. It's more or less perforating it kind of like a sewing machine goes in and out of fabric. So there's a lot less trauma to the skin. You get better, better healed results. But the whole premise of permanent makeup for brows is to make it look like you actually have brows when it's and when it's actually pigment in the skin. And it is vastly different from a traditional tattoo. The concept is the same, but the pigment that we're using for the face is totally different what they would use on the body. It's not as harsh. It's more of a natural look. Um, so you can do hair strokes or you can do like a shading or a powdering type effect that almost looks like gals that are quote unquote painting on their brows every day with a brow pencil. Mm-hmm. Makes sense? Yes. <laughs> so it definitely, I guess, uh, winds down the preparation time before going For out. sure. <laughs> yes. I've actually had clients call me back saying, why did I wait so long to have this done? Because it really is very frustrating, especially when people are having to work around their glasses mm-hmm. and they're trying to get to their brows and they can't really see because, you know, it's not magnified. <laughs> so it really cuts down, especially for women. Guys, I mean, you guys care about these kind of things, but I think the women care a little bit more about it, mm-hmm. you know. So, um, but it absolutely does cut down tremendously the time in the morning. And kind of share with your other services. I think on your site, you also listed um, potential like tattoo removal or, or saline uh, solution. Like, explain to us, like, what is that? Um, when I took this course, I was not excited about it because it just wasn't creative enough for me. <laughs> but I, once I took it, I was so intrigued with it because what I learned was that with saline, versus a laser removal. Number one, it's not as painful. Laser removal is absolutely a bear. 
it is um, no matter which uh, that you choose, it's it's a process for sure. So laser goes into the skin and it breaks up the pigment in the skin. How that pigment leaves your body is through the waste and lymphatic system. And most people, especially gals that I work with, are like, mm, I don't think I want that going to my lymphatic system to leave my body. So saline works by osmosis. There's more salt that's in the solution that is within our bodies. So when we go in with the tattoo needle, we're kind of tattooing in the saline solution. And over the course of time, by osmosis, it's pulling the pigment straight up out of the skin. So it's not leaving your body through the waste and lymphatic system. Again, it's not as painful. Um, and we don't really, if somebody comes in with a big tattoo, they're going to need to go through laser. Something that's small, you know, brows, we can do that. Um, you know, somebody just got tattooed on their arm. I love Johnny Bear. And then Johnny Bear breaks up with him the next day. <laughs> we can do an emergency removal. Mm-hmm. Um, so we can do smaller, something that's less than about three to four inches or the size of a credit card. We can handle those. Mm-hmm. So now, does it matter if there is just a black and white or very colorful? Doesn't matter. Or is it really more of the actual size? The size of it. Uh, And that's a great point, too, because in laser, there is one machine that is able, I can't remember the name of it, but there is one um, laser machine that goes, that reads or sees the different colors. There's different colors that settle in different uh, dermal layers of the skin. And if you don't have that one machine or the clinician that you're going to does not have that machine to remove it, um, then you could have remnants of certain colors left behind. When it comes to saline has nothing to do with that whatsoever. It does not see color. It just knows that there is, it knows that there's something in there that's foreign and it needs to come out. Mm -hmm. So, um, so it, it, it's vastly different in that regard to to the um uh not saline but the the laser removal mm-hmm. so so you mentioned in terms of a potential candidate or someone who would kind of choose either between saline and uh, the laser it sound kind of comes down to i guess the size the of size the of it is it because how long it would take if it's too large of a size or, yeah okay it's just it would just take forever I mean, let's just say that in between sessions um, with a with our service, I'm not sure about laser, mm-hmm. but with our service, you absolutely do not want to have somebody come back before an eight week uh, span of time. Okay. The reason for that is we want to maintain the integrity of a person's skin, so we want to make sure that when we're doing the procedure, we're not burning their skin. It's a very very potent you know, solution that has salt in it. Um, and then of course there's other additives like, um, uh, aloe and lemon and orange extract. Mm -hmm. So it's very safe for the skin, but we don't want to do it so frequently that it would, that it would mess up the integrity of a person's skin. And I would imagine Mm -hmm. it'd be the same with laser as well. But the reason why we kind of stayed with the smaller ones is just because it would take an absorbent amount of solution Mm -hmm. to cover that much ground. Mm -hmm. Okay, because so, you did mention in the beginning why someone would kind of consider the saline solution is that eh, I'm not too comfortable, you know, having it filtered through my body. But if I'm understanding how saline works, is that you're literally or physically extracting it out of the skin as opposed to Correct. having it go through their, I guess, body's waste. Exactly, stuff. that's right. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to the laser, sometimes it's just if it's a bigger tattoo, there's just no other option. I mean, it would just take such a long time, you know, mm-hmm. for us to cover 
that area, they would probably get more um, surface you know, coverage, surface coverage when it comes to laser. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas we're just using a tattoo needle and even the biggest needle configura- configuration that we would have mm-hmm. is very, very small in comparison to, let's say, a big sleeve on someone's arm, mm-hmm. you know? So then kind of put things in perspective for someone that's kind of listening. Okay, so I've got kind of the pros and cons on, on I guess, on both sides. Mm-hmm. Um, what is, because it sounds like at least on the sailing suit, they were, have to be at least multiple treatments mm-hmm. over time with, if I'm remembering correctly, eight weeks in between each session. Correct. Whereas with laser, is that just like a one-time deal? No, or there are multiple come? treatments as well. Okay. Oh, yeah. It yeah. absolutely... I've got one client right now. She has gone through laser treatments and her tattoo is big. I mm-hmm. mean, it's probably... Or the remnant of it um, is probably about eight to 10 inches. Mm-hmm long and maybe three to four inches wide. She went through, I think two years of laser removal and there's still, the doctor told her that's as far as we can go. And it was probably because he may have had that machine that didn't see that particular color. There was still color left in her skin. So she's reached out to us to help with the saline in those smaller areas where that, that leftover color, I think it's green, and a little bit of blue that's left over. Um, and in those areas, we're able to address that. And we've seen sig- some significant improvement just after two treatments mm-hmm. with her. Wow. So it almost sounds like if someone has too big, uh, I guess, uh, patchwork to work with, they would first go to the laser. Yes. And then once kind of the majority of the bulk of the work is done with and whatever's mm-hmm. remaining, then they would come to someone like yourself to, that's have right. to, save, to kind of clean up whatever's mm-hmm. left. Mm-hmm. That's right. And I know you also kind of share with the story of uh, other people are thinking, well, you know, there's certain, whether it's a scar spot or a bruise here and there. Um, I don't know how comfortable you want to be kind of sharing some of those stories because for our listeners coming in, it's like, okay, I, now I understand you provide tattoo removal, you provide mm-hmm. uh, care for those who may have gone through significant surgery, especially with breast cancer. What other things that are helping others to feel, as you say, feel normal again that mm-hmm. they might not have considered? Um, what other services do we provide uh, or, or other reasons why they would come to someone like you to remove, let's say whether it's a scar or bruising. Cause I think if I remember the story correctly, you shared with me is that they have some a very specific um, scar on their back. Yeah. So if somebody has um, let's just say heart surgery, open heart surgery, and they've gone through this and ladies, especially uh, I've seen a lot of this with ladies where you know, they might wear a a lower cut blouse and there's still this scar that's left over. Um, and there's different types of scarring. One would be like a raised or textured scar. We call those hypotrophic scars. Another one be, would be a more flat scar. And sometimes people are bothered by the color of it. So let's just say that you've got a person that has got, uh, they've gone through the healing process. It's been about a year since surgery and it's just, I don't know, the color of it is just white and it drives them nuts. Mm. You know, they don't, they, they just, they want to cover it up, you know? So what we would do in a true scar camouflaging is we've got a number of tattoo inks that we would mix up a concoction of those colors, color match it specifically and custom to their skin, the surrounding, surrounding that subject skin. And then I would go in and tattoo that area, the white part to match the outer part. Now, will it completely cover the whole thing up where it's, you know, 
completely disappears. It depends on how the person takes the ink, how they heal. Um, if there's any still remnant of a texture that's left in that scar. Um, but that's scar camouflaging in the truest form. Another way that we do scar camouflaging is in those raised or texture scars. Those are hypertrophic scars. We have to kind of, I hate to use the word chisel down, but truthfully, that's what we're doing. We're basically going into that scar skin needling the area, which is a much more aggressive approach than micro needling where we're going in with the tattoo needle. There's no ink that goes in the body. We're going in into the scar and we're breaking up that scar tissue on purpose. So the body's natural healing response, I call it the body's 911 team. It's your blood, your collagen, and eventually your melanin. So if you, let's say you're a little kid and you scrape your knee. Well, the first thing that happens, there is fluid or what we call lymph, body fluid and lymph that rushes to that area and says, oh my gosh, we've got an emergency over here. We need to fix this area. So it basically rushes with the body fluid and the lymph to that area to help heal. The next phase is the scabbing. And then the next phase, the scab falls off. And now you have a white spot in that area and then eventually the color will kind of start blooming and it'll eventually be the, the melanin or the color of your own skin. So we're purposely creating trauma through doing skin needling to that area. So the body's natural healing response reproduces new cell growth and reproduces new skin to that area. And over the course of time, you can find that that raised scar will begin to kind of diminish and then if we needed to do at that point, if there's some discoloring, then we can do the scar camouflaging with the ink. Mm-hmm. So does that make sense? Yes. Okay, good. So for those who, who feeling, you know, didn't even realize that this service is even out there and right. available for them, they're probably thinking in the back of their wall, this must be really expensive. Like how, how would they go about uh, finding ways to, uh, to pay or finance this? So of course, you know, we take all forms of payment credit card. Um, if people, uh, we are actually considered to be a medical clinic. So we accept HSA, which is the health savings account. Also flex spending account. We can take those as well. Uh, and then we also have uh, financing in and through Cherry, which is, uh, I believe they, for the most part, I- I'm almost positive, I may be wrong about this, but, um, but I believe it's 0% financing. And they can do that over a, like a three or six month period of time. Mm-hmm. So that helps a lot of our clients to feel like, you know, they can kind of tackle, tackle it. The good thing about what we do in regards to uh the services like scar camouflaging and that type of thing, those are usually not one and done treatments. Scar camouflaging is usually, and also the, the uh, saline removal, but the ones that are more robust in price are usually going to be the scar camouflaging because those are just more in, in depth typically. Mm-hmm. So that's where we see a lot of people wanting to do some type of payment plans or something like that. So we break those up into the different, visits when they come so um but if they need further financing cherry is who we use for that so how does someone even begin 
the conversation? Like, do they just reach out to go online and set up at a time? Like, what's kind of the general process if someone wants to begin feeling normal again? I I normally will, I'll talk to somebody over the phone, just kind of get a feel of what they're needing and what their ultimate goal would be. And I can usually assess from that whether or not it's something that we can help or if it's out of our scope. Um, but what, what I typically do is have them either, if they feel more comfortable coming into the the clinic and doing a complimentary consultation, we can do that. But most of the time people are sending uh, a photo in and through our business line, our text line, and, uh, and I'll be able to kind of get a good gauge of what needs to be done after speaking to them. And then from that point forward, we can either schedule a, a time for them to come to do the procedure, um, or they can do it online. They can book online. So Kind of share with the audience that as kind of learning about all this process and beginning the healing, whether it's because they went through some kind of cancer or surgery or something traumatic. Um, what is maybe one or two patients you're comfortable with kind of sharing their story where after treatment you realize, yeah, this is, I'm made for this. Oh, I, I belong here. Yes. Um, the very first gal that I did, um, she had gone through reconstruction and she had been walking around with implants, but there was nothing on the implants. Mm. Um, I, I know that we're in the company of men, so I hope that doesn't make you feel uncomfortable. <laughs> but nonetheless, um, in my mind, I feel it, it's, it, I'm not bothered by it. So when she came, she didn't have any, uh, sometimes the doctors are able to build out what they call a nipple mound so that the so the tissue is able to kind of protrude out from the skin. Even if somebody goes through that um, and they have a bump, it still has no color. There's no life to it. So they're looking at themselves either just completely flat skin with breasts, Mm -hmm. implants, um, and they feel like they look like an alien. They don't feel normal. And, um, And then some of them actually have the nipple mound, and but they still feel like an alien. So this particular lady that came to me, she was my very first real client. And I had to put on my face, like psych myself up, like, okay, okay, this is real. This is real. And when we got done, of course, we both just shared a moment of tears because it had been two years. She had gone through a lot of complications and um, she had had a reconstruction, but never thought it was important to do this for herself. And for whatever reason, when she went back to have her two-year checkup with her doctor, he referred her to us and she called and I interviewed her afterwards. And I said, what was the thing that most surprised you? And she said two things. One was that in less than two hours, my entire life, I could feel normal again. And the second was that she questioned for two years oh, it's not that big of a deal. I don't think it really matters. And she said, it absolutely matters that you do this for yourself. You've gone through all of this. You need to do this for yourself for you to feel whole and complete again and move past that point. Because a lot of these ladies come to me and the reason why they don't want to do anything else and they'd rather just leave it alone is because they've gone to through surgery after surgery after surgery and they're done. They don't even want to look at a, at a place that looks like a clinic. That's why I tried for my place not to look so clinicky, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I just, 
I know that it's vitally important for them to feel like themselves again. And yes, it's an investment. It absolutely is. And yes, it does take some time. And yes, you're going to have to go into another place and fill out all the paperwork and all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, when this is over, I hear this from so many people like, oh my God, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for doing this. The last gal that I did, not the last gal, one of the most recent gals, she's so precious. She was able, the doctor was able to build the nipple mound for her, but she had no color. So um, she just, I mean, we just cried. I don't know what it is. Like I I feel so attached to these women that um, were they just, they feel like that they can get past that tragedy in their life and feel like they're one of us again. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So, um, so it's, it's a, it's, I know it's probably the most rewarding thing I've ever done ever. And I would have never thought I'd ever do this. My mom was talking to me the other day and she's like, I can't believe I have a daughter that tattoos breasts. And I was like, I could do it all day long. Mm -hmm. I love it that much. It's great. Because as you say, it helps them, feel normal, heal mm-hmm. o- over trauma or tragedy yeah. and get some sense of uh, normalcy. And if I remember your uh, tagline or your marketing is that it's as if it never happened. That's right. This la- The last thing I was just telling you about, she gave me a bookmark the other day. Of course, I started crying. Uh, but she said, thank you for being part of my journey. Mm-hmm. I thought, God. And... um she she is just so precious. I mean, I've actually become friends with this woman. She's incredible. And so I know that, um, I don't know, I was talking to somebody the other day and they said the same thing when they saw my work and doing this as, oh yeah, you found it. You This, this, is, this is what you're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. So I know that for sure. So for those of our listeners who either themselves or might know of someone who wants to heal mm-hmm. and wants to feel normal how can they best find you and uh, reach out to you well my website is getting rebuilt as we speak so you'll have to go back and you can look at it All but right. then you need to look at it again in the next few weeks but it's restored cosmetics.com all of my um handles on instagram facebook linkedin they're all the same restored cosmetics great well thank you yes thank you it's been an honor thank you so, Todd. Yes. Hi, Anthony. Hi. Kind of share with us your origin story of what got you into um, consulting and accelerated uh, sales. Yeah, sure. So, I was a corporate sales leader for 25 years, running sales teams globally, nationally for companies, small, mid-sized businesses. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then kind of as the pandemic hit, like a lot of people, you start to reflect. And I was home and uh, I had two kids. I have two kids now, but back at the time they were 12 and nine. Mm-hmm. And I realized I had missed a lot of their stuff. Like I missed my son's first home run. I was in Europe on business. Mm-hmm. I missed my daughter's first recital. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of people in sales during the pandemic were saying to me, hey, I uh, can't wait to get back on the road. Can't wait to get my Delta Platinum and all that kind of uh-huh. stuff, Diamond. And I was like, I kind of like being with my family, reconnecting with the community. So I made a decision that I wanted to do what I love to do, which is help um, businesses grow mm-hmm. their revenue and their sales, um, but do it with more control over my life and and serve mostly the Atlanta market. Mm-hmm. So what was, so as kind of you're thinking through this uh, at home, what made you go, 
all right, well, I'm going to try this by myself. Was it uh, that one event or is it have that mindset been kind of slowly trickling down and just that one event kind of pushed you to make that decision? Yeah, it was a couple of things. It was saying, you know, what do I really like to do? And what I really like to do is help companies grow. But when you're corporate, sometimes there's not that tangible reward. There's a monetary reward and, and you know, there's a compensation, a bonus, those kinds of things. Mm. But when you're actually working with a small business owner or a CEO of a company that's trying to grow, it goes beyond just the monetary piece. You're actually helping them. Um, you're changing their lives, right? I mean, they're mm. suffering because they're wearing too many hats they're trying to run sales, but also all aspects of their business. Mm-hmm. And so they're really grateful when someone's able to come in and really help them grow their business um, and elevate them above kind of the day-to-day of the business. So I think the satisfaction of helping others is a big part of my business. And then again, just uh, having more kind of control over my lifestyle. Mm-hmm. So uh, coming in with kind of that corporate experience and now working with small mid-sized firms or family businesses, um, what are some, I guess, top challenges you find common with most of them? Yeah, I think what you see is that a lot of small businesses or mid-sized businesses are really good at what they do. Mm-hmm. And the owner has a passion and maybe started the business or took it over. It's a family business. So they really know that industry well. Mm-hmm. Um, the challenges that they face are they're, they are always confounded as to why they're not doing better in sales. Mm-hmm. And it's very reactive. Sometimes they take advantage of economic situations. Sometimes they get a big customer that year, but what they're lacking is some kind of predictable revenue. And so they're frustrated because they know how good their business is. They're very passionate about it, but they're unable to kind of capitalize on just that. So they have failed to put in a predictable, repeatable sales foundation and infrastructure. And, um, and that's what I help them with. Mm-hmm. So I also kind of find at least a perspective from, from my side is that a lot of these smaller businesses that are starting out, they are really good mm-hmm. potentially at sales themselves, but sometimes they kind of run into a wall in translating their skills to others. Like what, what, what is the other struggles that you find why that's not translating for the rest of their business? Yeah, that, that's, I'm going to date myself now, but um, <laughs> Michael Jordan was a great basketball player. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure he sat around going, why can't the rest of my team just do what I do? Just watch, watch <laughs> yeah. me and you'll all dunk and stay in the air for 10 seconds and all that it just doesn't work that way. So you have a lot of business owners that similarly will hire a salesperson mm-hmm. and say, go sell, just watch what I do. It's easy. Um, and, but it's not that easy. And, and unless you have the enablement and the process to support a sales team, it doesn't translate. The other funny thing is, and I'm sure Anthony, you deal with this because you help a lot of business owners and families in your line of work is the owner's thinking about an exit and they're thinking about the value of their business. And ironically, if they are the key rainmaker or they're the one mostly responsible for revenue, their business is essentially worthless when they leave. So in order to really have a good valuation, they need to get everything out of their head and into some kind of process that can fundamentally be repeated year after year without them so that the business is successful on its own so that they can exit and still have a good exit for themselves. Mm -hmm. It almost sounds like uh, they're just a sales team of one. And what you're saying is if you want to have a succession or sell the business, you should have a sales team of not you. Right. Well, or you shouldn't be the key salesperson. They may have four salespeople or eight salespeople, but mm-hmm. if the if the owner has not enabled them and kind of set the table for them to be successful, and I don't want to bore your listeners, but it's everything from sales process to how you use a CRM to making sure that the KPIs and metrics are in place and how effective is your messaging. Mm -hmm. If all of that has not been done properly, then even really good salespeople will flounder. And especially in the last few years, you've seen 
um, so many people switching jobs mm-hmm. because there's opportunities so they won't stick around. And that's another common thing I hear so often from CEOs and business owners, which is I just can't get salespeople to stay or to be successful and stay. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's usually the, the cause of it. So that's kind of the, the, the elephant or problem in the room is not having, they might have a, a very high turnover rate, I guess, in terms of the salespeople and one potential solution, oh, well, just hire kind of a, a VP or, or a CMO or sales manager. Right. Uh, but their pushback immediately could be, well, I, I just don't have that money cash flow right now. Right. How does someone like yourself uh, come in? Right. Well, I, my business is um, sales advisory, but also fractional sales leadership. So I'm uh, execution oriented. So fractional leaders, fractional sales leaders are able to come in with 25 years of experience. They've done this all before, um, but they're not on your payroll they're not carrying the benefits. You're not paying them a full time plus bonus and all kind of that stuff. Mm. And you get running really quickly. So a lot of times what makes a lot of sense for a business owner is to get a fractional sales leader to come in, immediately have an impact, hire, you know, get the right people, the process, the foundation in place, scale the business. And at some point put it in a place where that person, myself can be replaced by a full-time person when it's right. Because mm-hmm. often when they hire that fully loaded expensive full-time resource. They're not ready for it yet. Mm-hmm. They haven't established the basics yet. And sometimes those full-time leaders really don't want to come in and do the dirty work of setting up the sales foundation. So mm-hmm. um, it's been a really good match for businesses that are ready to grow, but don't want to kind of over-invest. Then mm-hmm. you mentioned some of the keywords a couple of times is that sales foundation or, or the process. Uh, kind of share with the audience and listeners, like what is the what public think sales and sales foundation is right. versus what it actually is. Yeah. yeah. I think the, probably the impression that most non-sales people have of sales is kind of that used car salesman that, you know, is got, you know, kind of a little bit cheesy mm-hmm. trying to sell you something you don't really want, won't take no for an answer. And I don't want to deal with that kind of person, right? They immediately mm-hmm. have sort of this feeling of, I don't want to be sold to, but the reality is that, a good professional salesperson is not doing that. What they're doing is they're aligning the value of your business or service to the person that would potentially be interested and then pointing out why it would make you better, your business better, you as a person better. So it's really about you, not me. And and once you once you turn that focus to the other person instead of yourself, you're a much more effective salesperson. I also think that um, a lot of a lot of people don't understand what sales, even when I say it, I know that a lot of your listeners don't know what sales infrastructure means. And that's not to demean people listening. It's just confusing, but it's really, when we talk about a sales process, a lot of times a business owner thinks, well, what? yeah, I have a process. I go get a meeting and I close a business deal. That's my process. But there's all those steps that go into identifying who my target audience is, making sure I get a meeting with them, making sure I understand whether they truly are a significant buyer. Do they have any money? You know, if somebody talks to you for three weeks in a row, but has no money and can't ever buy your service, they're probably not a good fit. So at the end of the day, you have to align those people and then make sure that you have steps to understand as a salesperson, you know, what am I doing to advance this for the good of the customer, for the good of the business? So there's a lot that goes into it. And then there's, you know, all the, then there's the math around if I want to get X dollars in revenue growth, mm-hmm. how many outreaches do I need? How many meetings do I need? Kind of all that math. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a blend of art and science. I need to have, I always say you can have a thousand at bats as a baseball player, but if your mechanics are wrong, you're going to strike out every time. So you really have to have the right mechanics and be effective and then get more at bats. And if you can marry those two, you'll be very successful in the sales world. Mm-hmm. 
So for the listeners hearing this for the first time, oh, okay, so I, what I thought sales or sales、um, foundation is completely like lopsided, and then they're going to try to implement it by themselves or do some kind of management and training their salespeople to be a bit more instead of,、uh, as you mentioned, kind of the the stereotype of、uh, the used car salesman, but more、uh, consultative basis.、Right. Um, what is kind of the, some of the common mistakes they make as they're transitioning this mindset or creating a foundation? Yeah. There's a tendency to think, hey, if I hire salespeople, they should go sell. That's their job. They're salespeople, so I'll hire them and then just let them be.、Mm-hmm. But even the very best professional sellers want enablement and they want structure and they want a process to follow because they know that will make them successful.、Mm-hmm. And so, I think a big mistake is just hiring a bunch of people with no sort of game plan around what it means. Hey, I want to grow my business, so I hired three salespeople and my business hasn't grown. What's going on?、Mm-hmm. Um, it's really about making sure. That the the foundation is there. You've hired the right people. You even know what your sales organization looks like. It may not just be, hey, I'll hire four salespeople. What are those people doing? Some may be looking and hunting for outbound business. Some may be taking care of customers. Some may be doing business development. So even just saying a salesperson, they all have different roles and responsibilities. So that's what I mean by foundation. You have to get that right. You have to build the house properly before you can move into the house.、Mm-hmm. Sounds like there's a lot more <laughs> for them to start or, or consider or questions to find answers to before just going out hiring three or four、right. salespeople out right off the bat.、Um, what is, I guess, maybe two or three things you would typically ask of the business owner before they go down that journey and kind of finding out whether or not they they're at a point that can go up to that next level. Sure.、Um, are you happy with your sales results?、Mm. Are your sales results as predictable? As you would like, and what have you done to make them more predictable?、Mm-hmm. Those would be three questions. And I, in my email signature, I actually have a ten question、uh, questionnaire where you can kind of rate your your sales team. But、mm-hmm. um, but those three questions are useful because if someone thinks about it and says we had a good year last year, I saw this a lot in COVID. Some businesses didn't do well in COVID, and some businesses really did well in COVID, the best they ever did because of the kind of business they were in. And then as COVID started to temper off. The business started to temper off, and they were sort of like, "I don't know, I don't know how to predict. I don't know how to because they never put in a predictable structure that would always repeat results."、Mm-hmm. So those would be kind of the three questions. And if a business owner is doing great in those regards, they're doing great. Often they're not. I think something like eighty-five to ninety percent of small to mid-sized business owners struggle with the three questions I talked about,、mm-hmm. and that's where、uh, my business and folks like myself come in and very quickly can help you put the right things in place so that you will be successful, not just this year. But every year going forward,、mm-hmm. so as they're kind of finding the answers to those three questions,、um, what other markers or, or metrics they should be looking at when they consider when they hit that particular area that all right, I need to find someone like a Todd to kind of bring in because I'm now at, at, at a crossroads、yeah. where I could either just stick by myself、yeah. or begin really building out a foundation、right. or a sales process. Yeah, I mean, you know, in addition to sort of, do I have consistent growth or don't I? Mm-hmm. Um, some some other sort of more nuanced things are how much of my business comes from my outbound efforts versus sort of just inbound referrals.、Mm-hmm. Because the inbound referrals are always going to come, which is great, but those aren't predictable.、Mm-hmm. So so how much is coming from outbound versus inbound, and then how much of my revenue is coming from my top two, three, four, five customers? Right.、Mm-hmm. When you have ninety to ninety five percent of your revenue coming from the top. Five percent of your customers—that's dangerous because if one or two of them leave, 
your business, I mean, I see this, I, I've seen this before, and I, I'm not going to call anyone, but I've seen where a, a key client leaves a company and there goes half their revenue and they're devastated because they never took measures to diversify their account portfolio and be more structured. Mm-hmm. So those are things to think about. You may have a good year, but if it's all coming inbound and it's all tied to one or two big customers, you know, that that's a, that's a red flag that maybe you need to start thinking about how to, you know, put something in place that's more predictable. Mm-hmm. So for our listeners, as you're mentioning some of these metrics, whether a bulk of the revenue is just from a small percentage, or maybe just two or three clients, or they're just not predictable or don't, or really not sure or have a good grasp mm-hmm. of where reliable revenue is coming from. Now that they're hearing that this, would be a red flag too. Yeah, they're probably sure thinking like, oh, okay, I'm, I'm kind of there. Uh, yeah. So what, what is kind of their, their first steps other than, of course, reaching out to yourself? Yeah, I think the first step is is really asking yourself, um, can I fix this? Do I have the capability to turn this around and put something in place that's more of a process and more predictable that I, as the CEO or business owner, can manage? Can mm-hmm. I do that? And if I can do that, I should do that. And if I'm struggling to do that because I'm either not a salesperson or I'm good at sales, but I'm the owner, I'm wearing a thousand hats, mm-hmm. um, that's where outside help can come in and very quickly um, help that kind of company. Can you kind of share with us a story of a client? Of course, you can keep them confidential in name, but sure. whether it's a problem they're kind of running into, and then after working with you, some of the changes or implementations you made to kind of the end result of where they want to be. Sure. Well, I'll tell a story. I've, I've told it before um, to others, but um, and it kind of ties back to my why that you asked me about initially. Why am I doing this? So mm-hmm. um, I had a client that the business owner was very much in the business. Um, he was working all kinds of hours, nights and weekends, um, having some health issues, and the the board was just kicking him in the rear end all the time, right? Uh-huh. So he was just kind of worn down. And his revenues were fairly flat, and his competitors were growing. So that was another reason the board was sort of on him. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, got to know him, and I, I started to learn that um, he also wasn't spending a whole lot of time with his son. Mm-hmm. Um, and his wife was kind of on him, and so the marriage was kind of full of tension, Right. So he brought me in to kind of help elevate him away from that. And so I came in and did the things I've been talking about, putting in the right foundation, hiring the right sales team, managing that team to accountability. And we ended up growing his business very, very successfully and significantly. Uh, about six months in, we'd been working together. We're out to dinner one night and he said, it must've been a Monday. And he said, Hey, I just want to thank you. I took my son to the Falcons game yesterday. And I said, okay, good game. I, I guess the Falcons won, right? And he goes, no, no, no. I've had season tickets for the Falcons game for three years. This is the first game I've taken my son to because I wasn't working on a Sunday and I wasn't worried about the business. And so I thought to myself, that that's the why, right? Is, yeah. you know, I can talk about all these KPIs and processes and CRM things that I did. Mm-hmm. But what I really did was help this gentleman, you know, reconnect with his family and kind of elevate above his business. So that's, mm-hmm. that's one story that always sticks with me. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing. Yeah. So for those who are kind of, feels like they're on that hamster wheel they haven't had a weekend or particularly miss ball games or dance recitals or like key life accomplishments for their family and their kids and they want that time back how can they best find you oh you can find me um <laughs> yeah so my, my website is accelerate advisors so it's mm-hmm. a c s e l l e r a t e advisors accelerate.com um, and my phone number, which is always reachable, 404-840-0930. Well, thank you, Todd. Yeah, thank you, Anthony. Mm-hmm. 
So this is kind of a section where we kind of bring our guests back in for uh, the last section where we ask them one or two universal questions. So kind of with today's theme is all about one, healing, finding normalcy, uh, along with finding more family time. And that's kind of driving our why. So for the listeners that are kind of on the fence where they feel like they're a little trapped and they're like, well, I want to have more time with my family, but I feel kind of stuck where I'm at because if I step out of corporate or change careers or open my own business, it'd be too much of a risk. Uh, what would be one major advice you would provide for someone that's listening right now that's kind of on that fence, not really sure if they should just make that leap to go after that passion, if, if, if that is so? And then after making that leap, as you're going through your journey, what are some of the things that you would talk or consult yourself when you're kind of at that cross? Or did I make the right decision? And then come across and say, you know what? Yeah, this, this, I, why didn't I make this decision sooner? So kind of a two-part question. This is more for our listeners in terms of if you were talking to them, someone sitting across with you. Yeah, it's kind of where I'm at. I feel like I'm stuck, but I'm not sure if I just make that leap like what you did in terms of chasing your passion followed by okay well since you made that leap and you might have come across a crossroads whether you're going back to corporate or staying where you're at what's something that you kind of help you get across that barrier so we'll bring our two guests back in so of course is the legalese portion uh, of the show uh the show is sponsored and brought to yours uh truly myself anthony chen here with lighthouse financial network securities and advisory services offered through royal alliance associates inc raa member finra sipc raa is separately owned and other entities and or marketing names products or services referenced here are independent of raa our main office address is at 575 Broad Hollow Road in Melville, New York, 11747. You can best reach me, uh, either my office number at 631-465-9090, uh, extension 5075, or preferably through email, uh, which is just my full name, Anthony Chen at lfnllc.com, or you can simply also connect with me on LinkedIn. Now, bring our guests back in uh, with our two big questions. What advice would you give for our listeners, Erica? I'm I'm such a I'm I'm a risk taker, mm-hmm. and um, and I look at things like people ask the question. Well, I'm not sure if I should take the leap. I'm not sure if I should do this. Mm-hmm. But what if it works? And so I feel like that if I would kind of nudge somebody out of the out of the nest um, and they're not able, and I've been at that place where I've not been able to kind of jump both feet in, um, I think that if you if you start doing what you're passionate about or what you're thinking about doing, just do something that moves you forward in that regard and um because what if what if it flies you know does mm-hmm. that does that answer your question mm-hmm. i wanted to make sure i understood that fully um so yeah i just i think that you just sometimes you just have to take the leap of faith and just try it and if you don't succeed at that then at least you tried and the good part about it is that you learned something from it and mm-hmm. you can make the tweaks as needed. Mm-hmm. 
Thank you. Mm-hmm. Tom. Yeah, I think I think a lot of maybe your listeners, you know, have jobs at companies and um, I certainly did for a long time and that's great. There's nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think people sometimes take comfort in that thinking it's safe. But I think if you really look at it, there's not a whole lot of safety in that because it's unpredictable and you're kind of at the mercy of the corporate machine and who your boss is and the politics. Exactly. And so I think sometimes it's about not so much what you're running away from, but what you're running to. And, and if you want more control over your life and you trust yourself, then it makes a whole lot of sense to go forward and um, go ahead and try it. As you were saying, mm-hmm. um, you do have to have a cognitive plan. You know, you can't just one day just run out, but, but I think if you're smart about it and you trust yourself, I think the return is that you can go as far as, you know, you want because it's, it's really, and, and I think the benchmark, your second question was how do you then reflect back on whether it's worked or not? Mm-hmm. Um, how do you feel relative to how you felt five years ago or three years ago or whenever it was that you started? Are you more satisfied? Do you feel like you have better control? Um, for me, it was the trigger of being um, servitude based, serving others. I never had that feeling when I was a corporate guy. I have it now. Mm-hmm. So, so sometimes it's more than just the, Hey, I have some freedom. It's, it's really the, you talked about feeling connected and mm-hmm. having a purpose. Right. So I think if you're driven by a purpose and you're driven by a passion and you can make it work, um, for a lot of people, it's definitely worth, it's definitely worth doing. Mm-hmm. Which then kind of leads, uh, to a follow-up question, finding that passion and purpose. Uh, sometimes the kind of the, the chicken or the egg problem. Do mm-hmm. I need to have a passion and purpose first before I make that leap or do I make that leap and then kind of winding my way through then finding by accident or bumping finding what my true passion and purpose is. What is kind of your perspectives? Wow. That's a good one. Oh gosh. I think for me, um, I just had to kind of cast the net with a number of different things, you know, just trying to find my way while I was earning an income in, you know, corporate America. Um, but I feel like that me personally, I think in your doing, things begin to unfold. As I said before, I started out doing permanent makeup and my whole thing with the business that I was in before, I thought I found my thing. And then COVID hit and I thought, gosh, well, I've got to reinvent myself. And I wanted to do something that would serve women. And so I thought, oh, okay, I could do this. And I started doing that. I still do that. But I feel like that as you're moving forward, things begin to unfold. And and you have to follow that leading, if you will, to to see where that goes. And and follow the your heart. Follow your heart and what is presenting itself to you again and again and again. Like with me, it was just, I kept seeing the paramedical tattooing over and over again. And I thought, Hmm, maybe I need to check this out, you know? So it, it kind of unfolded. I didn't even know, I had no idea it existed, you know? So I think that when you step out, um, the next step, well, you're, you think you're stepping out on thin air, but the next step presents itself like, oh, okay, this is where I'm supposed to go. And so I think that you could certainly have in your mind where you would like to go, mm-hmm. but keep it open where 
okay, I'm, I'm just being led where I'm supposed to be led to. And, and I'm trusting that in that process, things are going to unfold and present themselves to me. And, and that will give me my guidance as to where I'm supposed to go mm-hmm. or what next steps to take. Thank you. Todd. I think that people can have multiple passions and they often do. So sometimes we make the mistake of thinking, well, this is my true passion in life. So how do mm-hmm. I make that a professional career? Right. I, yeah. I was very good at tennis when I was younger, but wasn't good enough to make any money <laughs> in it. Right. So I think uh, if you're fortunate, you kind of have done something that either is it or similar to it where you go, you know what, that felt really good. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and so, and then you start to say, am I ready to kind of make that leap? Am I ready to combine what I really like with kind of doing this professionally. So, um, and if you haven't experienced some kind of passion and you're not sure what that is, then I would think it would be more challenging, but you just have to then think, what could I do? What do I enjoy? Some people love taking a business and then tinkering with it and growing it. And they don't care exactly what the business is. They're just top line people. So that could be their passion, even though the business could be anything. Some Mm -hmm. people like me, I love sales. So I, I connected with that a long time ago. So um, I think there's different ways to go about it, but you generally have to know you have a passion for something or you really like something. And then you go, well, how do I, how can I do that kind of professionally and then follow that? Yeah. Well, thank you. So as we're kind of wrapping up here again, how can our listeners and audience best find you, whether it is they want to feel normal again, or they find out, Oh crap, we only have two or three big clients that are 90% of our <laughs> revenue. So Erica, RestoredCosmetics.com. And I don't think I gave our phone number. Uh, it's 404-394-0477. You can also find us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram under Restored Cosmetics. Great. Thank you. Todd. Yeah. Todd Callen, AccelerateAdvisors.com, A-C-S-E-L-L-E-R-A-T-E, Advisors.com. Mm-hmm. And you can reach us at 404-840-0930. Thank you, Erica. Thank you, Todd. Thank you, Anthony. Thank you. It's been great. Now for a little bit of what I call Anthony's financial take, uh, as you kind of heard uh, from our guests here, uh, their words of wisdom uh, for you, the, the listeners here, is at the end of the day with, with a financial plan, I mean, it's life is really just a journey. Uh, no plan, even a financial plan, should be set in stone. Uh, whether, uh, Particularly on the purpose and the passion side, it should be part of of a financial plan. Now we might not be able to measure it in, in dollars and cents on a graph or, or in a report or an Excel sheet. But at the end of the day, uh, finance is really just the, the fuel and a resource to help you live your purpose. So whether you're already working with someone or you, you're thinking of considering uh, reaching out to someone, find an advisor that kind of meshes what your purpose and passion is and understands intuitively what you're looking to accomplish and what you want out of life. And that's a little bit of Andy's financial take. Thank you for listening to Family Business Radio. Until next time, thank you for listening.